Well, good morning, everyone. Good. Yes, thank you. Good to see you. Uh, we are last week away in Seattle. We had a great time and uh, brought Cheryl to my 40th uh, high school reunion, so she kind of came into my, wor- my old world, so that was pretty special. And uh, we actually want to get together this class. That's crazy. They want to do it again and again. They, they love each other so much. I'm privileged to be part of a, a great high school class. So I'm not sure if you have that kind of experience in your own life, but for sure for mine. So I thank God for that. Well, today we want to talk about anger. So I think we should pray first. This is a big topic. And uh, so this ask the Lord for his help. Lord, we thank you for... Um, the Psalms, and they teach us to be more honest than what we are, even with ourselves, and certainly with you. Um, So teach us, Lord, a little bit more about anger and how to deal with it uh, in your way, through the work of your Holy Spirit. And so teach us this morning from your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, anger is one of those emotions that is as varied as our personality types because, you know, we all express anger in different ways. Not all people, you know, lose their temper smashing walls. We're not all the same that way. Uh, We tend to use different kinds of words to describe our anger, and not all the words we use necessarily fit the classic sense of being angry. You know, someone could say they're really disappointed, but in fact, they're really angry, right? Or they're very frustrated. Um, And lots of people keep their emotions fairly buttoned down, but it doesn't mean they're not angry, right? Other people, they, you know, they blow their tops like corks flying off of wine bottles. It's just obvious. And so that's, in a sense, the classic example of someone who has anger management issues. But that's just kind of their personality type, right? We're all different. We express angers, anger in different way. There are people who, you know, withdraw, become depressed and frustrated, and they can be angry too. So which one are you? No, never mind. We're not going to do that. We don't have time to discover our temperaments and our anger tendencies. But my, my uh, desire today is to explore the Psalms and help us understand that the Psalms say a lot about anger. It's more amazing than you might imagine. Um, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, because if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about lament Psalms, right? And I suggested to you that, and it's not just a suggestion, it's true, one-third of the psalms are lament psalms. But of those lament psalms, a good number of them express anger and sometimes intense anger, but they belong to the lament psalms category. And a technical name for these kinds of angry lament psalms is what they call imprecatory psalms. Uh, they always have fancy words for everything, right? These theologians, but imprecatory psalms. Now, imprecatory simply means curse. So if you were to mutter 
imprecations, we never use that word, but if you were to mutter imprecations against someone under your breath, it means you're actually muttering a curse. So these anger psalms, these imprecatory psalms, are really psalms that curse, actually, right? They cry out emotion, emotionally against something or someone, person, group. And we cry out to God for those who have wronged us, and we curse so here's an example from Psalm 109, 8 to 15. There's a whole lot here. hope you can see that. So here it goes. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars, Maybe, may they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off. Their names be blotted out for, from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. Um, these people won't be exchanging Christmas cards this year. Right? So, so, so you know what I mean? This, this is angry stuff, right? And so we're going, what do you do with this stuff? Now, we believe King David wrote this psalm, and he wrote it in prayer as a response to the suffering he experienced at the hands of his persecutors. Now, compared to other cursed psalms, I mean, this is, this is one of the most passionate ones. There, there are worse ones. We're going to Check on a few more here. Um, but this is a severe one. Not only calling for retribution of his enemies, but extended it to his extended families, whoever the enemy is, right? What are we to do with these harsh statements? How can a Christian reconcile Psalm 109 with Jesus' own command to love your enemies, right? Complicated the issue even more in the Psalms themselves. Psalm 4, verse 4. You know this verse. In your anger, do not sin. Right? In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. And as you know, in the New Testament, Paul quotes this exact verse from Psalm 4, 4, in Ephesians 4, 26. And he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a, foot, a foothold. So obviously, God is concerned about anger and how we manage it. So what gives? Are we allowed to pray these cursed psalms? Now, most of us are probably not even comfortable expressing our anger in prayer. Um, I think we're good with praise. I think we're good with thanksgiving. 
I think we're even good with confession. Right? But anger? I'm not so sure. Yet here we are. They're right before us. What do we do with them? I think they have a place in our lives. The Psalms are divinely inspired by God, and they model for us this very action of expressing our anger, our frustration to God in prayer. That's what King David is doing. Now, anger and prayer doesn't sound like they belong together, but in the Psalms, anger and prayer are found side by side. These type of Psalms are actually a gift to the angry. Have you been angry before? Probably a dumb question, right? We all get angry in our different ways. But these psalms actually help us to feel our anger. Especially good for those who bottle things up. And acknowledge that, yeah, we're ticked off. We're mad. David W. Taylor wrote a great book on the psalms. He's an old classmate of mine. But he says this about anger. Anger psalms help us feel our anger without being undone by our anger. I thought that was a good phrase. Think about it this way. God has given us these angry prayers, these curse prayers, to rescue us from the desire to do violence to others. So I don't think there's any contradiction with Psalm 4.4. David is a human being. He is also a king. He prays not only for himself, but he's praying on behalf of the community. He hurts. They hurt. They are sad because of national division. There is backstabbing within their own ranks, right? And there's nothing more frustrating than when your own family, your own community, right, backstab you. That's the most painful. So this is what, Paul, what David is talking about here. He has moved from being sad to being angry. He's mad. I mean, these are natural human emotions that all of us experience when we experience emotions like, or events like rejection, or even seething hatred from someone you thought was your friend. But as Taylor says, when we move from mad to bad, this is where we commit sin against the neighbor. Do you hear the difference, right? You could be sad, move to mad, but when you go from mad to bad, then that's when we get into trouble and sin against our neighbor. So this is what the psalm Psalm 4.4 warns us against, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let your anger turn from mad to bad, which is basically revenge. And it's a choice that we can make. But I think this is where the Psalms of anger help us. They rescue us from taking things into our own hands where we could do violence against those who hurt us 
through our own words, maybe even physical, or do violence against even ourselves. And so anger psalms are, ready, are really um, lament psalms, as I mentioned. Sadness always lies at the heart of the experience of anger. So, I mean, you know this example. Boyfriend breaks up with girlfriend. Girlfriend is mad. But the core of her experience is she's sad, right? She's lost a lover. She's lost a friend. And so her sadness will turn to anger. Or sometimes that happens that way. Now, let me just show you an example of uh, one psalm. This is Psalm 12. And uh, I'm going to do the same thing I did last time with the lament psalm. Look at one psalm and show you how it's kind of broken up here. But this one's not near as passionate as Psalm 109. But it is an angry lament psalm. So let me kind of walk you through this one. And then we'll talk about some other uh, things we learn from uh, lament angry psalms. So first of all, there is the... Uh, complaint. Let me read it to you. Verse 1 to 2. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Everyone lies to their neighbor. They flatter with their lips, but harbor deception, deception in their hearts. So you can sense both sadness, but deep frustration. In this complaint, he brings his pain and anger to the Lord. He names his complaint. These people aren't faithful anymore. They are characterized by their lying lips, their flattering lips and and deception. Then there is the petition. This is verses 3 to 6. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail prevail. Our own lips will defend us who is Lord over us. Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. So in the petition here, the psalmist turns to the Lord and makes his request known. He prays that God would silence the arrogant. And now we might say, maybe in our own you know, plain English, Lord, please shut the mouths of these know-it-alls, right? You sense people's arrogance. And you just cry out, Lord, would you just put them down? Would you just deal with them? Would you just shut them up? Something like that. And so the psalmist remembers the Lord who will rise and protect the poor who are plundered by the proud. And he clearly sees and feels the injustice and seeks the Lord for justice, who he acknowledges is flawless like precious metals, silver, and gold. And then the last section of this uh, angry lament psalm is the response. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. 
So the psalmist concludes his prayer by turning to the protection of the Lord. He is angry, especially because the wicked are honored. But at the end, he prays, he confides in the Lord's protection. You will keep us safe and protect us from the wicked in a world where the vile are honored by the human race. And I think all of us can identify with that psalm even today. But in these psalms, you will notice that the enemy is left nameless. That's always interesting. And I think it's an important point to understand here. These psalms were born out of real circumstances, right? So at the beginning of many of our psalms, you have just a short line, right? A psalm of King David when he was chased down by his son Absalom, something like that, right? And so some of those psalms have that. Most psalms, we don't have that privilege. So they were born out of a real circumstance, yet, yet they are now made universal so that any follower of Jesus, for any circumstance, can use these psalms about what your enemy or who your enemy or whatever the situation might be, right? So you can plunk it into your own life and it helps you identify with your own frustrations, even though it was born out of a real circumstance with someone else's life. But there is no personal vendetta. No enemy is actually named. So it's universal for everyone. So with this basic shape of an angry lament psalm, Psalm 12, and other psalms of anger, um, what do we learn? Let me give you a few things. So number one, ultimately these anger or curse psalms are about God. God's people don't take things into their own hands. It should be an obvious point, but this is a prayer, right? At the end of the day, this is a prayer to God. All of our concerns about injustice and our enemies, these cursed psalms are primarily about God. And that is very, very good news. The book of Psalms from beginning to end is about God. So, book one, or Psalm 1, 1 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Psalms deal with the wicked, the enemy, right from the beginning. But it's about God, His justice. And then near the end of the Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 147, 6, it says, The Lord lifts up the downtrodden, He casts the wicked to the ground. And so cover to cover, the focus of these angry psalms is not about us and our experience of the wicked primarily. It's not about our need to punish the bad people and give them what they deserve. The unnamed wicked in the psalms represent individuals or societies or powers that stand in some way opposed to the good order of God's design. But ultimately, these psalms are about God and his good and righteous character. 
And so the anger, our anger is allowed to spill out into prayer, not necessarily directly against the wicked, but before a good and just God, right? So none of these prayers are a direct, right, arrow into the heart of the enemy. This is, this is you and God. You're talking to God directly. And so in this way, these psalms rescue us. Each petition ends with this response of the faithful, leaving their hatred and their anger in the hands of a good and just God. So we're not just screaming. We're actually praying while in anger before a good and just God. Secondly, we learn when people are oppressed, God's character is at stake. Now, in these anger psalms, the psalmist expresses words of vengeance because of the injustice and violence done against human beings made in the image of God. When we witness slavery, uh, racism, uh, corruption, God's divine image, God's divine design is being defaced. And so the psalmists are angry because God's design is being defaced. This is God's world. After all, God made this world. So, for example, Psalm 119, 19-20 says this, Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously, notice that, right? And lift themselves up against you for evil. And so this psalmist is well aware this is God's world that is being offended. God's character is at stake. Psalm 54.1, deliver us for your name's sake. These psalmists, these prayer warriors, have a high regard for God and his principles and his character and his design for this world. It isn't revenge. This is a prayer that speaks the truth about injustice that they are experiencing. The psalmist is angry because what they witness among the wicked goes completely against God's character and desire for the world. So, you know, when we watch, and we've watched it happening for a long time, it's kind of gone quiet, but the war in Ukraine, right? When it first began, I mean, you're blood was boiling because it was just sickening evil, right? Waltzing into a country that did nothing to you. Anger boils over in prayer, rightfully, because the innocent are literally being shelled and bombed out of their homes. We should be angry, right? This is not a moment for laughter. People are weeping and crying in the streets, lost their livelihood, their families, broken apart, leaving them poor and destitute. God's name is at stake, you understand? God's world is warped what is happening in that land. These are people we're talking about, made in the image of God. And so the psalmist cries out, don't let your world come to nothing. Don't let their suffering be meaningless. 
And so, yes, God's name and creation is at stake. And this is the awareness of the psalmist as they pray. And so should we. Thirdly, we learn that the cursing language is actually similar to profane language. So sometimes the psalmist's experience of evil is so violent and so vile when it is written down into a psalm, a prayer, inevitably it provokes hyperbolic language, right? A hyperbole. Language in a way that expresses a shocking violation of God's good world. So uh, I return to Psalm 109 because it is one of the most vilest um, angry psalms. The psalmist says this about the enemy. May his children be orphans and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg. May they be driven out of ruins they inhabit. Well, I don't have to tell you, but this is, that's really strong language, right? I mean, it's not language that you would directly say to anyone. And yet here's, it is in a prayer. I mean, it's harsh, it's cruel, it's raw. And so you go, what do we make of a psalm like this? Well, the truth of the matter is, the psalmist speaks this way in hyperbolic language because he has experienced vile evil himself. What is written down in a prayer of a lament is obscene language, and it really is close to what we call profane language. It's that, it's that blunt and stark and vile so what do we mean by profane language? Again, I quote my, my friend David Taylor. He says, profane and dirty language is language that lies outside the boundaries of the sacred. And so Taylor suggests that the function of profane language in the Psalms, and I quote him, is to facilitate expression of uncommon, disordered, and undesirable experiences. Let me try to illustrate this. Um, I get emails from Open Door. Uh, they often report about the persecuted church around the world. So this is from Greg Stagg. And uh, his little email went something like this. Mayor, this is not her real name, lay unconscious in the street, injured and covered in blood, following a brutal assault. Later in hospital, doctors refused to treat her. Mayor no, knew the perpetrators, but no one was arrested. All this because she follows Jesus. So Greg Stagg goes on to say, in India, Christians are attacked on all sides. This is a world, world's largest democracy, yet persecution is violent, targeted, and carefully orchestrated. So I read this little piece while I was doing my study here on the Psalms, and I thought about these cursing Psalms. The message translation for Psalm 35, one puts it this way. 
harassed these hecklers. God punched these bullies in the nose. I mean, that's kind of our vernacular, right? When order, when purity is replaced by disorder, chaos, and violence in places like India today, this profane expression, God punched them in the nose, just fits, right? It fits for this lady they call Mare. It's not her real name, right? Her experience. It fits the experience of the persecuted church. And they're just being honest. When someone like Mary suffers as she has profanity psalms, another word for the psalms, profanity psalms if you wish, they actually identify how she feels and helps her to express her experiences that completely violates her human dignity. And that desecrates God's good purpose for the world. And as we said from the outset, these psalms are truly about God. We are leaving our anger. We're naming the anger. We're talking about it. We're not bearing it. But we're naming them, talking about it, and putting it into the hands of God. Finally, cursing psalms help us to heal through Jesus. They take us to Jesus. Another psalm, one, Psalm 137. Um, it begins with sadness. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion, that's Jerusalem. We can, how, we, how can we sing the song of the Lord while in a foreign land? So that one gives you a lot of broad hints as to what's going on here, right? This is the exile period. These people have been ripped out of their own nation. Vile evil has happened to them. And they're now they're sitting in, their, in a new nation as foreigners and they go, how can I even sing? But the last half of this same psalm is rarely repeated because it is so vile. You recognize this first verse, but the back end, you never hear about it because it's so vile. So when Israel was taken into captivity, incredible evil was done against them. So this is verse 8 and 9. Daughter Babylon, Doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizures your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I mean, that is as intense as it gets. I mean, these are voices of moms and dads whose children were likely taken themselves and destroyed. That's probably why they pray as they do, because it was done to them. Hatred is boiling over. Is there a place for these kinds of psalms? Apparently, it's in our Bibles. 
Croatian theologian, Miroslav Volf, experienced war crimes in um, Croatia, Bosnia, that area. I know some names have changed, Yugoslavia, formerly Yugoslavia, but you know there was incredible war, civil war, um, incredible evil, war crimes done against each other. And so he speaks to this about anger. He says, it is not safe simply bottled up in my heart. It is not safe in some public space of venting our collective feelings. It is safe in the place where it is placed before the one God of both those whose children have been dashed against the rocks and those who did the dashing of their children against the rocks. It is not safe. He's talking about anger. Anger is not safe bottled up in the heart. It is not safe in the public community where there's yelling and screaming. It's safe when in prayer placed before God. That's what he's saying. He's arguing for these kinds of psalms. Now, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's easy to incorporate Psalm 137 into our life of faith. Because, uh, probably because we lack teaching on this area, okay? I mean, when's the last time you heard something like this, really? We lack teaching in the area, and so therefore, if you don't know about it, you don't do it. And yet it's here. Unfortunately ignored. And so we need God's help, I think. And these psalms do it for us. We need help to be honest with God. I mean, that's the name of the series, right? Honest before God. Psalms helping us to live. To be truly honest with ourselves and then with God. And these psalms help us. So let us remember that the Holy Spirit will use even these angry psalms to lead us to Jesus. That's what we have to understand. All the psalms lead us to Jesus. That's the direction it goes. Because he himself experienced vile evil. The sin of the world. And so these imprecatory psalms lead us to the cross of Jesus to a God who loves and forgives our enemies. We cannot forgive or love out of our own strength because these anger emotions are so powerful. If they stay in the flesh, it's danger zone, right? If it stays bottled up in myself, it's danger zone. But Jesus dealt with all manner of sin and evil by giving up his life in love. In Christ, when we trust him, 
we too eventually can love and forgive. It's about healing, right? Not undone by the anger of the enemy to love and forgive. So lament and cursing psalms teach us to be honest with God about how we really feel. They are like a a training ground. Psalms are a training ground, helping us to be angry without sinning, or as Eugene Peterson said, to cuss without cussing, if that makes any sense. As in all prayer, we come before God in humility, even in anger. If we remain hard and angry, seeking revenge, we demonize people. But when we are humble in anger, we are willing to bring all of our baggage and warts before God. And in humility, we're asking the Holy Spirit to do his special healing work in our hearts, to be honest, and to love our enemies and to forgive. So what seems so impossible because of all the vileness that you experience, is now possible through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Well, let's pray. Lord, there's not one of us here that have not experienced some kind of anger. And, um, and probably... responded to it in bad ways. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that we need your help this morning. We don't want to be angry. We want to be controlled by your love and your Holy Spirit. And so help us to just accept the gift of these these kind of psalms to help us process how we really feel And bring them before you, Lord. Give us the courage to be bold and unafraid, knowing that when we are honest and real with you, you do not judge, you listen, you encourage, you guide us, and you love us. So help us, Lord. Help us to be angry without sinning. And most of all, this is about you. This is about your glory. This is about your universe. This is about your creation. We desire the good ordering of your world. And help us to follow you, to be the witnesses, the examples of how to live rightly, even in this broken world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.